Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. There's still time to enter to win a free copy of my new book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview. Text book giveaway, that's one word, book giveaway to 44 Again, text book giveaway to 44222. This is the pre-med year, session number 235. Hello and welcome to the two-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. And welcome back to the Pre-Med Years, or welcome if this is your first time. I mentioned at the very beginning that you can still pre-order my book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview. Actually, I mentioned that you can enter to win a copy of it. I'm giving away 50 copies, and that contest ends on June 4th, 2017. So June 4th, 2017, text book giveaway to 44222. Today I have a very interesting guest for you, one that normally wouldn't be here on the podcast, but I figured with the changing, possibly changing landscape of our healthcare system here in the US, which seems to be a a every four-year occurrence depending on who is in office. Uh, I thought I would bring on a, a somewhat expert in the field, somebody who has a podcast devoted to talking about bills that go through Congress. And that's what Jen Briney does. Jen Briney has a podcast called The Congressional Dish, and she has read the Affordable Care Act front to back. She has read the new AHCA and has discussed what is in there or not in there. And she comes on the podcast today to talk about those things so that you are prepared for your medical school interviews. Even if this is 2019 and you're listening to this or 2018, this is going to be a good primer for our healthcare system, assuming things don't have a dramatic change in the next couple of years. But even if they do, then it's good to have an understanding of the basis anyway. So take a listen and go subscribe to Jen's podcast over at Congressional Dish. Jen, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. So you are an unusual guest for for my podcast. You're not a doctor. You're not a pre-med student. You're not a medical student, but you have a very special set of skills to quote uh, Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie. Um, so why don't you explain what it is that you do now and and where 
we're going to go in this episode talking all about healthcare, how you came to be familiar with what's going on in this country with healthcare. Well, um, so what I do for a living is a show called Congressional Dish. It's a podcast. And I'm really a Congress watcher. And so what that means is I watch congressional hearings and I read bills and laws that they're creating so that taxpayers like me who aren't necessarily like on either side of the divide, like I just want to know what's going on with my money, <laughs> like what's being done in my name. So I'm reading these bills and just trying to figure out what's happening. And so the way that I became so familiar with the healthcare issue is that in the shutdown of 2013, the government was shut down because the Republicans basically, I mean, let's call it what it is. The Republicans were trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And so for three weeks, our government was shut down and I decided I should read this and find out exactly what's in it to find out, is this something that, you know, we should be shutting down the government to get get rid of. And um, my main conclusion about it was that I don't like the system as a whole because it's a, it's an insurance system, not a healthcare system. But it is better than what we had before because it put in rules on the insurance industry. And so what we're seeing now, now that the Republicans have control of all of government, they're, they're kind of trying to repeal the Affordable Care Act, but instead of just repealing it, they're putting together these bills very, very quickly with no hearings and really no uh, no overall plan. And so what I'm doing right now is I'm reading all of the different versions that go through. So I read the first one that failed, but now the House just passed um, another version of the American Healthcare Act. And so that's what I'm reading right now for my next episode. And so um, to speak to you today, I made sure that I read the the stuff that matters the most to all of us, not the money stuff, but instead of like, if you have a pre-existing condition, are they going to let you die? Like <laughs> that type of thing. <laughs> So, um, so yeah, that's how I got into the healthcare thing. It's basically because that's what Congress has been legislating for the last four or five years. Although yeah. really, I mean, what was it? 20 to seven years, eight years. It's, it's been a good fight. Explain, you, you talked about how the Affordable Care Act, it's, it's health insurance and not health care. Dive into that a little bit deeper. Explain that because as a, a high school student or a pre-med student who's listening to this, just kind of dipping their toes into the water. They're, they're not going to know what that means. Yeah. So um, there's a couple different ways that you can give people health care. And a lot of other countries do what's called single payer, which basically means you pay taxes and the government pays for health care. So when you go to the doctor, it's just like if your house gets set on fire, um, a firefighter will show up and um, and it's it's one of those essential government functions is what I call it. Here in the United States, we don't do it that way. Instead, what we do is we buy health insurance. That's It's supposed to cover the, the big catastrophes. Um, but what happened was before the Affordable Care Act, you know, these are for-profit companies. And so what they would do is that they would only cover healthy people because those cost them the least. Because if you think about what health insurance does, you give them like $100 a month. And as long as you're healthy, they just put that in their pockets. That's profit. But as soon as you get sick, that's when they have to start to pay for stuff and they really don't like the paying for stuff part. And so in order to have this system that still had private insurance at the center of it, what the Affordable Care Act did is it put rules in place. So um, for example, before the Affordable Care Act, there would be lifetime limits. So you'd sign up for a plan and then you'd get cancer and you'd look in the fine print of your insurance and it would say, oh, once we hit a million dollars, we're not paying for anything for you ever again. And people would go bankrupt. Um, there was also a common practice with health insurance where once someone would get sick, they would just drop their plan. <laughs> so it'd be like, now we're just not covering you because we don't have to. So they were doing all kinds of shady things basically to make money. And, um, and so that's why the Affordable Care Act 
when I say it's better, it's because now there are certain rules. So for instance, there are 10 essential health benefits now that if you buy health insurance, they have to cover. So preventative care. Um, I can tell you from experience before the Affordable Care Act, I went and got a physical and when all the little bills came in, it cost me over $400. Now that's illegal thanks to the Affordable Care Act. They also have to cover things like ambulances because before the Affordable Care Act, you would pass out or whatever and you'd wake up with monster bills because you didn't get your ambulance pre-approved, which is ridiculous on its face. How do you know if you're going to need an ambulance? It also covers things like hospital stays and maternity and um, uh, prescription drugs. And so there are, there are things now that when you buy insurance, you know you're going to get. And so that's why I say that it's better than it was before, but it's still based on private insurance. And so what you're seeing now is these insurance companies liked the old days where they could profit by making up all of the rules. And so that's why you're seeing now the people in Congress that work on behalf of the insurance industry, as opposed to you and I, they're trying to make those rules go away is the basics of what's happening right now. Explain, what does that mean that the, the people in Congress are working for the insurance industry or on behalf of the insurance industry? Well, I mean, it's pretty clear from the legislation that they're writing right now because it is designed to help the insurance industry to be more profitable because, um, well, I mean, the details of it, they're, <laughs> they're, they're eliminating these rules. So like those essential health benefits that I told you about, they're going to make it flexible in certain states if states want it to so that they don't have to cover those essential health benefits anymore. So that's not something that's good for you and I. That's something that's good for the businesses. And then you can go on, um, you can go online. There's a website. It's called opensecrets.org. And you can look and see who these people who are voting for these eliminations of rules, you can see where they're getting their campaign funding from. And in almost every case, you can see the health insurance industry is there, um, health professionals is there. So when you look at who is funding their campaigns, it's not you and I, it's these businesses. And then you see these health insurance companies invited to help write these these bills that we're seeing right now to repeal the Affordable Care Act. And in fact, the insurance companies were in the room to write the Affordable Care Act. You know, um, the pharmaceutical companies helped write the Affordable Care Act. That's why uh, pharmaceutical drugs were covered as well as they are. Um, but yeah, the health insurance companies, they wanted to exist and they used their lobbying power to stay in existence. And that is the basis of the Affordable Care Act. A lot of people say that's the, the poison pill. And, um, and no one right now in, in Congress is talking about going to the single payer system, the taxpayer funded system that works in so many other countries. And so that's why um, that's why I say that these people are working for businesses and not for us, because when you actually look at what they're doing, that's who benefits. I always look at who benefits financially. And right now with the American um, Health Care Act, it's the business businesses that benefit, because I can tell you that I'm afraid not only for myself, but for people that I I know and adore who have pre-existing conditions. And um, and I don't know what they're going to do if this becomes law. One of your episodes that I refer a lot of pre-med students to is episode 48, where you talked all about the Affordable Care Act. Mm -hmm. That's when I read it. Yeah. Talk about, let's let's start from the ground floor of the Affordable Care Act and, and give me some basics for, for a student that's preparing for their medical school interviews and they have to go in with some understanding of how our healthcare system works. What are some of the big takeaways from that episode that, that they can have to, to understand? To understand what the system is? Yeah. And what well, the Affordable Care Act does. Well, like I said, the main thing to know about the Affordable Care Act is it puts rules on the private insurance industry. And it allows the private insurance industry to remain 
the main way that people get their health care in the United States. Because right now, if you wanted to get a government plan, it doesn't exist for you. You'd have to, well, it does. You have to get Medicaid. Medicaid is, it's the program basically for poor people that gives them their health insurance. And so the way it works is that the, um, the federal government basically picks up all of the Medicaid funding, at least for the states that accepted it. And it, it expanded the program um, beyond what it used to be. So it allows poor people to get government-funded health insurance. And then we also have Medicare, which is for people over the age of 65. And for the most part, they also get government-sponsored health care. But it's everybody else that's in the middle. If you make more than, and I, I don't know the exact numbers, but um, more than 133% of the potter, poverty line, and the poverty line is crazy low, but if you make more than that, or if you're under the age of 65, you have to get health insurance in order to get health care for the most part. Um, and so that's really the basis of what the Affordable Care Act is. It's a very complicated system that tries to put rules on the private insurance companies so that they will not go bankrupt, but still have to cover everyone like with pe people like pre-existing that have pre-existing conditions. So for instance, um, if you have something that you were born with, that's a pre-existing condition that is expensive because these insurance companies, as your healthcare provider, would have to pay for those benefits for your entire life, and they don't want to do that. So the Affordable Care Act forces them to cover you, but also forces healthy people to get health insurance to help and like outweigh those costs. So it's a very delicate system with a lot of moving parts that have to work together in order to make this this private insurance system work and and what's what's tough to talk to students about right now is that it's being actively dismantled as i speak <laughs> so i don't really know i don't really know exactly what to study when it comes to the affordable care act because i don't know how much of this is going to survive i mean even now it's based on these ex exchanges so there's different ways to get your health insurance there's the um, the individual market, which didn't exist before. So someone like me, for instance, I'm a podcaster. So I don't have a big corporation that's paying for my health insurance. So if I were single and I needed health insurance, I would have to go to each individual company and try and figure out what they cover. And you know, they were very, very confusing. That's how I ended up with a $400 physical. I had no idea what I was buying. And so one of the basics of the Affordable Care Act is it, it created this in individual insurance market where people like me could go on a website and pick a plan from a bunch of different companies that offer it, compare them line to line so you know exactly how much the premium is, um, what it's going to cover, the percentages. It's very clearly explained, which didn't exist before. So that's a really cool thing about the Affordable Care Act is it separated your health care from your boss. <laughs> so you could quit your job and still have health insurance because there are so many people in this country that are clinging onto jobs they don't like because of their health insurance. So that was a big part of it. There's also a small group market that, to be honest with you, I don't quite understand. And then there's also the large employers, which is where a, most people in the country are still getting their health insurance from, is from their employers. But the Affordable Care Act also required that employers buy plans that cover those 10 essential benefits and have minimums um, of what needs to be provided in returns for premiums. And so so that's really the basis of what you need to know about the Affordable Care Act. It keeps the private insurance company at the center of our healthcare and tries to make it so that they can be profitable and yet we get coverage and we have fewer medical bankruptcies. I mean, this did not eliminate medical bankruptcies in the United States and it also did not cover everybody, but it is better than it was before. So it's like a stepping stone, basically.
taking money out of it, the the medical bankruptcy side, the the question always comes up, well, even if you don't have insurance, you're going to get care anyway. You show up to a hospital, you're going to get the care you need. Do you have data or information that kind of refutes that? I mean, the first thing that came to my mind is that my friend is dead. So, I mean, it's anecdotal, <laughs> but it's not, that's not how it works. If you get cancer and, and so like this is before the Affordable Care Act, she got cancer. She was 15 years old. Um, she went into remission. We had one awesome summer and then it came back with a vengeance and she was told that you need a bone marrow transplant. And so that's what her doctor said. That is what was submitted to her health insurance company. Someone sitting behind a desk at the health insurance company decided it was too expensive and said no. And because her parents are not millionaires, she died. So that's the thing. Like you can't really separate medical bankruptcies from getting care because yes, if you get hit by a car and you get brought to a hospital, they're going to give you the basics so that you can walk out of there. But what about the follow-up care? And what about cancer treatments? You can't get that in an emergency room. So it's actually inaccurate to say that that hospitals have to cover you. There's minimums that they have to cover you in like emergency care. But when it comes to the 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 maintenance and the preventative stuff, that's the stuff that really keeps you alive long term. And that is not covered in an emergency room. You just can't you can't do it that way, especially not on a systemic level when you have 325 million of us in this country. So that's that's one of the fatal flaws with that argument is because the Hippocratic the Hippocratic oath only goes so far. Um <laughs> Yeah, and so for for really long term um, and dangerous diseases, emergency rooms aren't going to cut it. Why has this turned into, or maybe it always has been, a a left versus right argument with with it seems like the Democrats wanting to give insurance and the Republicans wanting to take it away. Well, see, it's not quite that simple. Um, having watched it, what I'm seeing is that. There's so much corporate influence in our Congress right now on both sides. So what you have is you have the Republican Party, which really wants the insurance industry to write the rules, wants to go back to the days when the insurance industry, the market or whatever, um, is the one that's calling the shots. They get to say who gets covered and who doesn't because they believe in a an economic theory that they they believe in so strongly that it doesn't really... I don't think that a lot of them are looking at it from the people perspective. You know, they want people to have access to healthcare. They keep saying that over and over again, but access is different from actually having healthcare because like, like I said, if I needed to get something like a bone marrow transplant that costs a million dollars, yeah, if I had a million dollars, I have access to it, <laughs> but I don't have the million dollars. I, so I have access to a private jet, but that doesn't mean I can afford it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So so the Republicans are really working on behalf of business in a way that I think clouds their judgment. Um, when it comes to the Democrats, though, they're also corporate in a certain way. So they're the ones that created the, the Affordable Care Act. So instead of nationalizing the healthcare industry like it is in so many other countries, um, they are also towing this corporate line and even creating this system. They're kind of doing like the middle of the road thing where it's like, OK, we can keep this in control of the private health insurance as long as there is rules. And then the people that want us to just get health care as a part of being an American citizen, they're vastly outnumbered in our Congress right now. I mean, there's I can name them on both me. I, I might need my second hand, um, but right now I can only think of a few on one hand. So um, so right now we really don't have the side 
that is saying that access to doctors and, and getting health care is just an essential that everybody needs. And it's it's all about the role of government right now. There's this ideological battle happening. And and I mean, obviously, I have opinions on this. And when it comes to government, it seems to me like government should be covering the things that we all need, but we don't know when, you know, so it's like, that's why the government does the roads. That's why government does firefighting, because you can't just have a fire station that you pay for yourself just sitting by all the time in case you set your stove on fire. It doesn't make sense. So we have them standing by. And doctors are kind of the same thing. When you hear this argument that, you know, <laughs> healthy people don't need all this health care. And it's like, well, you're only healthy until you're not. And you don't know when you're not going to be healthy. I can walk outside my door right now and get bitten by the Rottweiler across the hall. I don't see it coming, but I need a doctor. So so that's the problem with treating healthcare like any other business. You can't opt out of it. It's not a restaurant. You can't choose to not go there or cook at home. You need the doctors when you need them. And there's certain people in our government, mainly the Republican Party right now, who really see healthcare as a business. And I think that's why it's not necessarily a left versus right thing. It's a, is this a business and should it be per, for profit or should it be a part of the government thing. That's the real battle that's going on right now. And business is winning big time, big time. And so that's why instead of seeing like, should we make the Affordable Care Act better and cover more people, say like everyone, <laughs> you know, that's one direction we could go from the Affordable Care Act. And instead we're going in the complete opposite direction back towards having the companies control everything. Um, but yeah, I don't think it's left versus right. One of the arguments that's being made for this open market system is that it will drive down costs if there's a lot of transparency in the costs. And I, I know you have an opinion on this about uh, about this specific thing, about me as a uh, healthcare seeker or, or um, looking for treatment or uh, prescriptions as or whatever. As a sick human. As a sick human, <laughs> yeah. Um, like I'm shopping for clothes on Amazon or books on Amazon. Now all of a sudden their theory is that it's going to be like that for healthcare where it's like, I'm going to go on and, and look to see what physicians are, are doing the, the best um, gallbladder surgeries and for the cheapest. It just doesn't make any sense because <laughs> I just think of like, okay, let's say I get attacked by the Rottweiler, right? <laughs> I'm bleeding. <laughs> My arm is like broken in half. Am I supposed to go to Yelp for doctors and figure out which one is the cheapest and then go to the cheapest one because he is the cheapest? Or would I look at that and be like, oh, like, where did this guy get his degree? So it's like on so many levels, it doesn't make any sense because when you're sick, the only thing that you're thinking of is how do I get better? You're afraid for your actual life. So that's another way that this this whole thing just doesn't work by saying that you know, people need to be more in control and like fight with their doctors. I don't fight with my doctor. I say, what do you need to do? And then I deal with the bill when it comes. And that's why these health insurance companies, it's and it's amazing profitable business because it's something that we all need and will pay anything for. We don't question our doctors. For most of us, doctors are gods. Because like you said, I'm not a doctor. You are. So when I go to you and I say like, you have all this education. What do I need? I'm trusting you with my life. I'm not about to fight you on anything. So again, this is just not a business. It's not a normal, it's not a normal business. It's not like buying a shirt. You know, I can go to Nordstrom, I can go to Target and like 
the quality doesn't really matter, but it matters when it's my health because I only have one body. And if I screw this up, well, game over. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe now, but in 10 years, we'll be able to freeze brains and transplant <laughs> it onto somebody else's young, healthy body. Well, I'll be robots. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. <laughs> so right now with the, the new administration and, and for students that are coming up on interviews, this is going to be a hot topic about discussing pros and cons of the new healthcare system and what their opinions are. In in your minds, give give me your pros and cons list if, if I were interviewing you for medical school of what the new administration is trying to do. Well, I mean, I'm to just be straight with you, I'm horrified by what the administration is trying to do by making it all for profit again. Because like I said, it's not a normal business. And so I think a lot of people are going to be hurt by this. I think people with pre-existing conditions, um, you know, that basically pre-existing conditions with the new American Health Care Act, if it becomes law, they still have to be covered technically. But there's so many loopholes that they've now written into the system. Like there's going to be this um, well, it's called the MacArthur Amendment, if you want to look it up. But the MacArthur Amendment is what got this passed in the House. And it's basically a waiver that states can get damn near automatically that lets them waive the essential health benefits. And states can create the essential health benefits state by state. And so what this means is that not only will states be able to define the categories of benefits, but they also get to decide what's in those categories. So let's take prescription drugs, for example. Right now, there's a lot of them that have to be covered, but let's say your state decides that only three need to be covered, <laughs> you know, and the rest of them don't. Um, or what about ambulances? What if they just decide that that doesn't need to be covered anymore? So it'll be on a state by state basis. And then also the Affordable Care Act's protections against lifetime and annual limits and then also out-of-pocket expenses, because that's another thing too. When you go and you actually get care, let's say you do get sick. The Affordable Care Act put in a number. It said, okay, you only have to pay this much out of pocket. And I, it's like in the thousands um, for most of us. I think for me, the last time I checked, I'd have to pay like 6000 out of pocket, which for some people could still break them. But let's let's go with 6000 I'm just pulling a number out of nowhere. But that is your out-of-pocket out limit. Well, those are all tied to the essential health benefits. So what that means is that each state is allowed to determine what essential health benefits means then that's also going to determine your lifetime and annual limits and what your out-of-pocket expenses are. So there's it, there's a it, there's this effect where it's just going to get so much expo more expensive for customers on so many different levels that people are going to skip care because if you can't afford it, you can't afford it. What are you supposed to do? Um, and so that's my main concern with this is it's going to get more expensive. And and one of the things that they keep saying is that it, it, it's designed to reduce premiums. And it will. It absolutely re it will. By, re by eliminating the rules on the insurance companies, it's true that premiums might go down because the plans don't cover anything. I had one of those. Now, I didn't know this because the website that let me compare it easily didn't exist. But when I got my plan, it was like 80 bucks a month, which for me as a waitress was a lot of money. That was an entire day's work. But it was about $80 a month. And when I went to get a physical, it was $400. Imagine if I got actually sick. And so that's what they're going back to. Now, they're leaving certain things in place for the Affordable Care Act. Um, but this is, they keep promising us that this is only the first step. The main goal here is to allow the private insurance companies to do what they will. And that's, 
that's my big concern because they exist not to provide the best health care. They exa- exist to make as much money as they can and divvy it out to their shareholders. That's what poor, for-profit corporations do. That's not necessarily evil, but it is when you do it with healthcare. Because like I said, you're talking about desperate people that will pay anything for their own health. And um, yeah, so I mean, I, think, I just don't see anything good about it. I, I think for, for students, the biggest maybe analogy from their experience about talking about premiums and, and lowering premiums is, is car insurance. And mm-hmm. when you go and you, you're looking for car insurance, from a premium standpoint, you're typically looking for the cheapest thing possible. And you're not in there digging around and be like, okay, well, what if I, it needs to be towed? What if the, the, the quote-unquote catastrophic uh, coverage is, I need a new engine, are they going to cover it? Uh, and, and, but, but all you want is the cheapest premium because you're a poor college student. Uh, and so allowing patients to choose the cheapest premium without understanding that that back end of what they're actually buying uh i i think is it's i i think it's it's betting on the american population to not be smart and and yeah. well it's uh, not even smart cuz it's deceptive what they do yeah they put it in the fine print you know and and you, we all know what the fine print is. It comes in this giant packet and the font's super small and you look at it and you just want to cry and it's written in language that doesn't make any sense. And so those are tricky things that the insurance companies do so that you're not aware. They don't want you to be aware um, because they want to get out of covering you when you actually do get sick or in the analogy to car insurance, when you get in that accident. I mean, it happened to me. I just got a cheaper plan for my car. I wanted lower premiums. And so when I killed my battery a couple of weeks ago and I called my insurance and I was like, Hey, I need roadside assistance. They said, Oh, you're not covered for that anymore. <laughs> now, uh, like I just went to some dude and he jumped my car. So it wasn't that big of a deal. But what if it was, you know, what if it was like, Oh my God, this thing that I need that I thought I had covered was thousands of dollars. And that's what happens to people when they use it. Um, although even that analogy, well, it is really good and I get why you used it, but the problem with comparing health insurance to car insurance is that you don't actually need a car. Right. So if you don't want to pay premiums, like, like, yes, if you have a car, you are legally responsible for getting insurance for it. But you don't have the option to not have a body. <laughs> you <Yet>. can't skip <laughs> that part. Yeah, until we're robots, <laughs> you, you don't have that choice. And so that's another way that even when you compare it to other insurances, it doesn't make sense because you don't have to own a home. You know, you don't have to have a car. Um, this is different. This is this, and even life insurance. You don't have to provide for your family after you're dead. It's not a requirement, but you need you need access to a doctor unless unless you're just willing to die. But I don't know anybody who's just fine with dying the next time they get the sniffles. So it's just different. So for a student that is worried about now after hearing all of this, you are the the expert on on finding this information. Where is the best place for students to go to learn about what's going on, to, to be more informed, and, and possibly in the future get involved? So honestly, the way that I do it, I go straight to the bill. And I know that sounds super painful to read legislation, but even 
like I just read this bill and then I went and looked at the different ways that people were writing about it and I saw so much conflicting information. So to be honest with you, I think the best way to truly understand it is go to congressional sources, read what they're reading, um, which is the bill. That's the only way to really understand what the rules are. And it's not that intimidating. I mean, I'm a communications major. <laughs> I'm not doing anything extraordinary. Um, but I can tell you that I am at least, I'm outlining this stuff on my website, congressionaldish.com, and I do link to all the individual provisions so I can help you in that regard. But really, um, the website that I use is govtrack.us, and you can look at what the bill's status is, so where it is in the process. You can look at um, what's been enacted already. You can read the, although I can say you can read the Affordable Care Act, but it was the most miserable experience of my life. It's so <laughs> hard because uh, it's in ten, it's in ten sections, and I got through the first nine, and then found out that the tenth edits the first nine and they never went through and just like made it one thing that you could read. So it's actually really, really hard to do. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wish I had an easier way to do that, but if you truly want to understand what the system is, you have to go to the bills into the U S code and just, and read it. And you know, what's cool about the U S code is that if you actually go to the law itself, that is written in plain English. So what's tough about reading bills is that you see this little, you know, 47 USC, 1582. It, like you'll just see this code and it's like, what is this? Well, that's the link to the law. But when you get to the law, that's, that's written in plain English. So you can even go to the sections of the law itself and just read it. And then you'll understand what the law is. And that's not as hard as reading bills because you don't have to jump back and forth. Um, but really at this point, I don't know who to tell you to trust because I don't trust anybody. <laughs> I don't trust that there's no spin. I don't trust that these people understand what they're talking about because like I said, even with this latest thing, like when people say that people with pre-existing conditions are no longer going to be covered, that is not accurate. You know, it's much more complicated than that. And as doctors, you probably need to be more aware of the details than maybe just the lay person reading NBC. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, I would, yeah. U S code. Sorry, man. <laughs> so the, the, this, uh, AHCA has passed the House and now it's in the Senate. Do you have any insight or understanding of, of what may happen from here? So what happens from here is it's going to be changed. We know that for sure because we know that the senators are not happy with it as it is. So it's going to be changed in um, some committees. The people on the committees don't give me hope that it's going to be changed in a way that protects us more. Um, because it's like there's the ideological people that in the Senate, there's a certain group of people like the Susan Collins of Maine. Um, there's another Senator whose name is escaping me right now, but there's certain Republican senators that really are uncomfortable <laughs> with people losing their insurance and having it be much more expensive. But then there's a group of them that, like I said, are ideologically opposed to the idea that the government puts any kind of restraints on private business and they see healthcare as a business. And two of those people are Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, and they're going to be involved in the shaping of the Senate's version. And they are they are people that just don't believe in government. And so, um, but anyway, like, so I'm, I don't have a ton of hope in the Senate. I think that I think the best we can hope for in this Congress is that the whole thing just stops, that we can make enough noise that the Senate either doesn't vote on it or it fails in the Senate. Um, because once it goes back to the House, if it passes, I mean, Trump's going to sign it. It's 
I don't know. But timing wise, what I've heard is that they want to have this vote in the Senate done by August. So we have a couple of months to make a fuss in the Senate, in the Senate in particular. The House's role is done for now. We don't really need to look at the House. Um, Keeping in mind, if you're listening to this later, we're talking right now in the middle of May. But right now, the House is done. Don't even bother with your House representative. You have to focus on the Senate from now until August of 2017, um, unless it passes sooner. But I really, the Senate moves about as fast as molasses moves down a hill. So, um, <laughs> so if it passes by by August, maybe it'll go back to the House. But, um, but yeah, it will be changed. This is not the final version. But as, and here's the other thing to consider as doctors: private insurance is based on a lot of paperwork, you know? So your nurses and the people in your office, it, when you go into a doctor's office, you notice that there are a lot of receptionists and that's because they are hired to fight with the private insurance industry. And a lot of times I know that the doctors care more about their patients. And so what I found is my doctor, she's awesome, but she'll code things differently because she knows that I'll get charged in different ways. You end up having to be an insurance expert to help your your customers, your the people that you care about that you're trying to make healthy, you need to understand how the insurance works in order to help them get better and not go bankrupt. So you're involved in this whether you like it or not. And if you would rather have your staff and the people that you have to pay as the doctor at the top of the chain, if you'd like to minimize your costs, minimizing the role of insurance, it, it would probably be good for you because right now it's so complicated and there's so much fighting because like I said, their insurance companies don't want to pay. That's their business model. And you want to get paid. So, so yeah, it's, it's important, I think, for doctors to really pay attention to what's going right now, going on right now. And again, in my opinion, but having read this stuff, I think it's in all of our interest to fight it. I think, I think there's no good going on here. I hate to take a stance like that. I'm uncomfortable with it, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, okay. it's just, it's bad. And it's, one of my best friends has to move to New Zealand because she has a preexist, she has a uh, Crohn's disease. and we don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> so yeah. she's getting her visas and all of that worked like in line so that if this becomes law, she's out, you know, that's, that's how serious this is for your patients. Yeah. So, uh, and we've talked on this podcast that. before that, that Allison has Crohn's and I have MS. So we have okay. preexisting conditions. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We've, we've talked about it on the podcast. Um, okay. but so for your friend, does she not have a job that pays for her health insurance? No, she's, um, you know, what's really unfair is that she is a professor at a very prestigious university that pays their people garbage. And, um, so no, she's not covered by them right now. And she is a dual citizen. Her mother's from New Zealand. And so it's basically her, her get out of America card, but most of us don't have that. So, um, you know, I feel like we're at least in her respects, I feel lucky that I know that she's at least safe, but I do have someone I love very much that has had cancer and is still battling it. He did get the bone marrow transplant, but obviously there's still a lot of complications that come along with that. And of course, like you're my friend and I care about you and your family. And so this is, this is one of those things that keeps me awake at night. And I think it should keep a lot of us awake at night. It's, it sounds so extreme, you know, but it is. (laughs) I I would love to be able to calm people down and be like, it's not as bad as it seems, but it really is. It really is. And, and money is, it's an important factor in healthcare. There's no way to separate the two. If, if people have to, and that's the thing, like, how do you even go to a bank to take out a loan for your cancer treatment? And how does the bank look at you and be like, 
well, how are you going to pay it back? Yeah, what's your you collateral? <laughs> yeah, it's like you might be dead. So how's the <laughs> bank supposed to help you? Like at a certain point, if you can't pay, you no longer have access. And that's not something that's being considered in this legislation. And I should also mention how fast this is being crafted. Yeah. This is not something that the Republicans have been working on for the last eight years since the Affordable Care Act. Because I've been reading these bills now for four and a half years. They've been saying repeal and replace, but now that they have power, they have to actually do it. And this bill that they passed in the House was not available to read the night before the vote. It was not on the internet. The Congressional Budget Office is what's in charge of like looking at a bill and saying this is how many people would lose insurance, this is what it would cost. They do the really in-depth analysis of the financials. They are not done with this until the week of May 22nd, which is in the future. Today's May 12th and this passed on May 5th. That's how little they cared. They just wanted to get something passed, and so they passed it, knowing that the Senate would have to change it. But that is so reckless. And so that's also a part of this story that can't be ignored. This is not a carefully crafted bill. This is something that's being thrown together last minute, and the effects be damned. It's like a doctor not evaluating a patient, just like, oh, give him some antibiotics, and if something doesn't work, then another doctor will fix him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good analogy. No. I got one in there. <laughs> you got two. I like the car insurance <laughs> one. <laughs> so, Jen, you've done a lot of episodes on healthcare. Obviously, it's a big thing with this new administration. Where can students go and find all of those episodes that you're doing? Well, the website is congressionaldish.com. And what's, what's beneficial to you guys, especially with the Affordable Care Act episode, is that I outlined that one. And I linked to the specific provisions. And so on my website, I write it in plain language that, a dummy like me can understand. <laughs> and so, but then you can go and look in the actual bill and see if I interpreted it correctly or, or see it for yourself so that you can share it. Or, you know, if you're in an argument with someone and you just want to know, like, is this in there? That is a resource for you. And that is from the original Affordable Care Act. And actually, since I started doing Congressional Dish, um, there really haven't been that many significant changes to it yet. So most of that is still valid. Um, with all of the episodes I'm doing right now about the healthcare stuff, I'm also outlining the bills. I did an episode on repeal and replace. Don't use that one. Use the um, Congressional 151 is the next episode. And that's where I'm linking to all of these provisions that I'll be talking about when I outline the, the American um, Healthcare Act. But yeah, um, congressionaldish.com is where you find those show notes. I also have a free app so that you can get those show notes on your phone as you listen. And that's available for iPhones and Androids. And then, of course, you can find the podcast anywhere podcasts are found. All right. So there you have it. Again, that was Jen Briney from the Congressional Dish podcast. Go find her at congressionaldish.com. Go subscribe. Great show. It gives you so much great insight into what is going on in our healthcare system and in our government. As I mentioned in the beginning, there's still a chance to win one of 50 copies of my book, The Pre-Med Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Interview. Obviously, discussing the healthcare system is part of the medical school interview, and that is covered in the book. If you'd like to win a copy, text book giveaway to 44222, and I'll show you how to do that before June 4th, 2017. I hope you have a great week. We'll catch you next time here at the Pre-Med Years and Med Ed Media.